The Nets have been caught. The one shining moment has been played. The national champion has been crowned. The Yukon Huskies went on to win their fifth national title in school history, beating out San Diego State in the national championship. And we got no one else better than Max Marmon here to help me break it down from the final four to the national championship in a little offseason talking to next season. Max, welcome to the show. We're happy to have you on. Hey, thank you for having me on, Nate. I appreciate it. I'm excited to talk some college hoops with you. I've been looking forward to it. Yeah. All right. So let's hop right in it. I think the best place to start is probably the first game. We can talk Florida Atlantic, San Diego State. I think it was a game a lot of people kind of thought it was going to be a snooze fest, not really your blue blood programs in the Final Four. Arguably the two smallest programs probably to ever play each other in the Final Four. But I really enjoyed the game. I mean, it was much higher scoring than I thought. I think a lot of people thought it was going to be a 50 to 52, 50 slugfest, just the way the teams play. But score got up into the 70s. Obviously, buzzer beater to win it for San Diego State. Instant March Madness classic. But to take it a step back, Florida Atlantic had control of this game for pretty much, at least you can say 80% of it. I mean, they were up. I think it was 14, 15 with 12 or 13 minutes left. Obviously, San Diego State, I think, is a good team. I mean, I think they deserve to be in the national championship. But did Florida Atlantic choke this game? Is this – where do you put the blame? Um. Yeah, I guess I'm not really going to sugarcoat it. I think they did choke a little bit. I think they did choke. However, I think having said that, I think it was more of like a, a testament to the resiliency and the poise of San Diego State. State more than Florida Atlantic kind of giving this game away. Like that's just kind of how San Diego State played all the tournament. They kind of hung around, hung around, hung around, and then they found a late run at the end of the game to kind of propel things forward. Like I think against Alabama, they were down like 48-39 to control the rest of the game with the big run there. Against Creighton, they were down. Um, against FAU, like you mentioned, they were obviously down then. And that's just kind of how they played. Like they had a lot of depth. I think FAU is the same way. Like they kind of gave them the taste of their own medicine where um, they have so many guys, they have the depth to kind of play with, I'd say, 100% energy, 100% pressure the whole game, and then it kind of just wears down as their opponent and the game goes on. Um, but like you said, FAU did have control. Um, they should have uh, they should held on because they also have a lot of depth and they also have a lot of star power. But I think it's honestly more about San Diego State than FAU in this situation. Yeah, I mean, I think obviously it's a lot down if you're Florida Atlantic. I mean, you're all big in the semifinal game. I mean, they obviously had a great opportunity to get to a national title game. But I think the most interesting thing for San Diego State was that just like looking at the demeanor of the players and uh, their coach and just throughout that whole, like the first half and the beginning of the second half, like none of them looked concerned really at any point. There was not really a point where you're like, there wasn't like a sense of urgency. Like I feel like often you get down big like that. And especially on a stage like that, I mean, it's even more, even more prominent. I feel like you see that kind of like panic sense of urgency. You're like, Oh, like you just feel like it's getting away from you. And I feel like you never really saw that from San Diego state, which I think is a huge testament to their team. I mean, obviously it's a veteran team. I think the average, I saw some stat, the average age of the starting five was like 23 and they're older than like five NBA starting fives or something ridiculous like that. So they, they, the veteran group for sure but I mean at the end of the day they're still young I mean it's impressive how poised I think they stayed 
despite looking very out of it at some point. And even when they were coming back, they were they were missing free throws. And, like they were not even like <laughs> taking on all their opportunities to make it a closer game when they could have. That's a really good point. I didn't think about it like that. I guess the thing with San Diego State is like when you looked at like who can make a run in the tournament, I think a lot of people counted them out against Charleston because they weren't really the most talented team. But I think what kind of separates them from most teams is how well coached they are. I think Brian Dutcher is a very underrated coach. Um, like you said, they're a veteran team and they kind of just um they stayed mentally tough. Like they didn't let the situation affect them and they didn't let the big stage affect them and they just kept poised, like you said, or like you implied. Did you pick uh did you pick Charleston to beat them? Is that you is that you <laughs> saying you did that or are you just saying a lot of people did? A lot of people did. I thought it was a pretty common upset pick. Um I remember I was in between I was kind of 50-50 with the Charleston uh San Diego State and Furman, Virginia. And then I ended up choosing the wrong one. I ended up choosing Virginia to beat Furman and then Charleston to beat San Diego State. And then clearly that did not work out. It happens. I, I'm not gonna lie. I got it right. I said it was Furman, San Diego State, and San Diego State's get out of it. But I'm not gonna lie and say it was like with a lot of like confidence in that pick. I think it was I knew a lot of people were picking Charleston. Just like based on what all like the analysts are like, oh yeah, Charleston, these guys are good. So I was like, I don't mm-hmm. know. San Diego State was like good for pretty much the whole season. Like, seems felt like a good contrarian pick was really my whole rationale behind it. But I did not see them beating Alabama and then obviously eventually going into the title game like they did. Yeah, that's logic to make that when everyone's taking a popular upset pick. I feel like sometimes the favorite kind of goes under the radar. So that's a good lo- that's good logic there to take them. Um, I was about to say something else and you mentioned something. Um, oh, I forgot. Uh, anyways, but yeah, that was that was. Oh, I I do remember now. Um, it was yeah. I think a big reason I didn't want to take them um was because the Mountain West hadn't done well in recent years um in the tournament. I guess hindsight bias, they were probably due to to have more success because they are a good conference, but just the past couple of years they've been really struggling. Yeah, and I that mean, was a big reason. The rest of the Mountain yeah. West didn't fare so well. <laughs> I think all the other Mountain West teams all got knocked out around one. So I don't think that's a bad yeah. assessment. And well, Boise State, Utah State, and then Nevada lost by oh, like a hundred yeah. in the first four game. Oh yeah, they were they were like right on the. I think they were the last team in Nevada, so like they were kind of on the borderline there. Yeah, that um, was that was embarrassing. Yeah, Utah or. Yeah, Utah Valley, they were, even though they're the 10th seed, I remember they were the favorite against Mizzou somehow. Yeah. By like two points. That was another, I fell for that trap too. I was like, oh, they're the, yeah. they're the favorite and no one's picking them. It seems like a, seems like a logical pick, but they got yeah. killed too. So I, I, I'm kind of, <laughs> I'm kind of with the don't trust the Mountain West. San Diego State's going to be in the Pac 12 in a year or two, anyways. They're not, I don't even know if they qualify for the Mountain West still. So. That's true. I mean, they won't next year once they're in the Pac-12. Um, yeah, I think that Utah Valley game. Oh, sorry, what oh, I was just going to say, I think it was like, I don't remember if it was last year or two years ago, but the Mountain West got like literally eliminated in like six hours. It was like all like I all like two or three, I don't know how many teams made it, but there was like three-ish teams made it, and they all played in the first like five hours of the tournament and all lost. I'm pretty sure that was that was last year. I remember last year I actually paid a lot of attention to the Mountain West because I really liked um I thought Wyoming uh was a dangerous team. They were like plus 
um, I want to say like 360 to win their conference, but they had like a really old, like they had an older team. Um, they had a lot of like three point shooting. Basically, they had a lot of team. They had a lot of qualities that like a really good upset team in March would have. And then throughout the season, um, they were better than Colorado State, who was like the big favorite. Um, they were better for Boise State for most of the years, the big favorite. But as it got closer to March, I felt like a lot of um, Mountain West teams were starting to like look worse and worse. I'm not gonna lie, I was watching too many Mountain West games last year, rooting for Wyoming. Um, and then I remember Wyoming lost to Indiana in that, um, like the first four game. And then, like you said, like the first day, they all just lost within like five or six hours. Yeah. It was a tough showing, and that kind of like stuck in my mind. It's tough, but you don't want to. You never want to generalize to a conference. I think that's that's one lesson this March this March Venice as a whole has taught us is that. You can think one conference is the best, you can think one's the worst, but at the end of the day, they're all individual teams, and their conference doesn't really change. It doesn't define what a team is, especially, I mean, there yeah. was so much parity between, like, the number of teams from each conference that, like, did well, and then uh, even in the end, like, none of the, I mean, obviously it was, what, one, two, two mid-majors, and then two high-majors, I mean, like, it was pretty balanced and then even you go that's the only day like one big 12 team obviously the big 10 didn't too well but that's a story for another time yeah we'll, we'll get more into that later um yeah that's a really good point especially this year there was a lot of parity between like one team from this conference one team from that conference making it um you make a really good point how like it's not especially when the bracket's so like like mixed up like you're never to have too many teams in one region um i think it was pretty equally distributed like you mentioned of like UConn and the Big East making it, or like Conference USA, uh, FAU making it. Conference USA, by the way, they had a great year. Um, so close to the Triple Crown. So close. Yeah. They, yeah, they had FAU in the Final Four. They had North Texas winning the NIT. And I, I forgot who they played in the NIT championship, but it was they also. played uh, UAP and Jolly Walker. Oh, you're right. Yeah. Um, and Charlotte won the CBI. So, um, I'll get best, more into it later, but best conference in America. Yeah, dude, they're underrated. They have, they have Middle Tennessee State when they beat uh, Michigan State uh, in 2016. I remember a year before they had um they had UAB when they were 14 seed to beat Iowa State. Um, and they've had other good teams. Like I remember, um, you know, I remember I used to like uh, Louisiana Tech a lot. I thought they were a really fun team to watch. Oh yeah, uh, they never ended up making the tournament, but. Like I remember watching that conference and like remember thinking that like this could be a multi bid league. Um, like the the, Ken, the Kenny Lofton days. So even before that, like um, they had these guys. It was Speedy Smith, uh, Michael Kaiser, and Raheem Appleby. It was like their big three, and I'm sure <laughs> no one's gonna know who they are. But I have uh, no idea. Basically, <laughs> I'm not gonna lie. Yeah. It was also like like six or seven years ago, so I don't blame you. But the reason that was such a big uh, senior class, it was like considered their best senior class ever. And like they had Carmelo in one year in their senior class. So like they had really high expectations. But the team that ended up making the tournament, the two teams that ended up making the tournament this year, those years were Middle Tennessee State and UAB. And then they ended up pulling up the upset and now losing yeah. on Tech. So ever since then, I've always thought Conference USA was really good and I think everyone kind of knows about them now because of FAU, but now they're having some realignment. So 
We'll yeah. see where it goes from here. Everything we said is also leaving. So we'll see what happens for Conference <laughs> USA. But yeah, uh, it's a good story for the time being. And then uh, last thing before we move on to the other game, I just wanted to say, like, watching the buzzer beater live, like, I had no idea what they were doing. Like, I literally thought he was about to either <laughs> dribble out of bounds or just not get a shot up. Like, it looked like he was trying to drive and then kick. Because, like, his head was down. Like, it didn't look like he was trying to score. And then I think all of a sudden he got to the end of the – like, he got to the baseline and then just, like, realized there was no time. It was like, I guess I'm just shooting. And then he drilled it. Like, it was nuts. Exactly. Yeah, his foot was, like, like a couple inches, an inch or two out of bounds. It was really close. Like, you saw all those pictures where his foot was, like, just close enough to the line where it wasn't out of bounds. And I yeah. think um, it was really funny watching those, like, live reaction videos for people who – who are at the stadium, like, you could hear them be like, oh, no, like, right before he's about to take the shot, like, where's he going? Yeah, I mean, like, the guy, he looked lost. Like, he looked like he had no plan. Yeah. I mean, I guess he probably didn't because, I mean, it was what? It was off. They didn't have a timeout or anything because there was no play. But, like. Yeah, I feel like usually whenever a buzzer beater is hit, it's just, like, immediate, like, oh, like, oh, my gosh. And, like, when that one was hit, it was just, like, what just happened? Yeah. It was more, like, confusing than, like... I agree. I was, like, I mean, it was obviously really cool. I was, like, wow. But, like, I, I just did not think... I didn't think it was going to work out at all. So, you, you know, ha- happy for Lamont Dollar that it worked out. Video March, man. Video March. And then, right, yeah. So get into... Other game, honestly, not a ton to talk about. UConn, Miami, UConn continue their ways. It was actually their closest game of the tournament. I think they won by 13, which is crazy. (laughs) But, yeah, Yeah. but honestly, it was was pretty end-to-end. UConn had it. I mean, there was really never a doubt. I think when Sonogo, yeah, this was the game Sonogo hit two threes to start the game. And then, um, oh yeah, I saw that. I mean, he hit one. I was like, okay, he's hitting them. And then he hit another one. The next possession, mm-hmm. they're up nine zero, and I was like, yeah, this is over. And Miami like hung in like striking distance. I would call it like they were in that like, I mean, they might have been down as twenty, as big as twenty at some point, but they were down like enough that they were like one run away from being a runaway to getting back mm-hmm. into it, and they just never really got past that. And so occasionally they got the first run, but they never got the second run. They needed to really get back into it. And yeah, I mean, UConn just looked great. Uh, they handled their business. Danny Hurley said after the game, they, they knew that was going to happen. They expected to do that. And they looked ready for the championship. But to talk about Miami. I mean, it was a good run by them. I think not very few people picked them to make it that far as well. Obviously, they won their conference in the regular season. Uh, I mean, they they played phenomenal in the tournament. They pretty much just didn't miss. They just kind of went cold for the first time in all tournament. Yeah, they did. Um, yeah, honestly, kind of mentioned earlier, like, as soon as Sonogo hit those two threes, like, he's definitely not a three-point shooter. As soon as he hit those threes, like, he knew it was UConn's night for sure. I guess every single night, all six nights were their night, but – um, yeah, end to end victory. Um, I love how like um like explicit, like I love how Danny Hurley just speaks his mind like every press conference, every halftime interview. Like I remember I think it was it was the next game, it was against San Diego State, like 
like they asked like how your team's been playing he's like we should be up 20 right now like we've been missing layups like we're doing this that yeah that's what he said at halftime yeah like he always like really he's never happy yeah i was, thought, I, was thought, I think i mentioned this last week too but um when they were playing gonzaga there was like i was just like being miserable watching till the end of the game so i was like <laughs> it's the last game i'm gonna watch till the end and like yeah there was two, there was two minutes left he's subbing in his kid in the other walk-ons and he's like still snarling yelling at the refs because like they're messing up something and who knows what like at this point, no starters are in for them. All Gonzaga starters are out, and he's still, like, got that look in his eye. Like, he's, like, ready to fight anyone. Like, it's crazy how intense he is. But I love it. That's amazing. Yeah. That kind of reminds me of um, Jim Harbaugh a couple of years ago. Actually, more than a couple of years ago. Like, I remember, like, nine or ten years ago with, like, the 49ers. Like, he was the same way. Um, but I guess there's always coaches like that. Like I've had AU coaches like that who were. I guess I understand being tough on the players within the last two minutes because like it's it's like you're hard on them in practice. Like you want them to, um, you want to get the most out of them while they're actually playing. But I guess being at the ref, so that's definitely a little, definitely a little extra. Yeah, but it would work. So I don't yeah, know. I guess that's that's amazing. What can you say like he's, always, he's always wired in. He's always locked in. My question for you is obviously this was kind of a final four of like underdogs. Obviously the highest seed was a four seed in UConn. And they were they were undisputed, but we can get that's uh not a discussion for now. But I think with I think between Miami, Florida Atlantic, and San Diego State, I think you can make an argument Miami was the biggest Cinderella at the final four, despite being Maybe the biggest name program. Well, not besides uh, UConn, but I I kind of disagree actually because I think they were they were still a really really dangerous team. Like they have so much talent and they still have a Hall of Fame coach. I mean, that being said, like they weren't really a championship contender, but they probably reached their full potential. That even Miami fans like thought a Final Four was like was the ceiling. Um, but the main reason I don't think they were the main Cinderella is because they were in the Elite Eight last year. Like, I think that's kind of like saying, like, if FAU hypothetically made the Elite Eight or the Final Four next year, like, that's kind of saying next year that they're a Cinderella. And people were saying they weren't even that much of a Cinderella this year because of how good they were. Like, they were, what was the record? Like, 30, I think their final record was like 35 and four or something like that. Um, yeah, they had three but, losses uh, in the record before March Madness. That's probably right. Yeah. Yeah, I think um because of how much talent had because of Jim Laranega on the sidelines and still being a team with I don't want to say high expectations but higher expectations than certainly FAU. Like I know a lot of analysts like them and said they didn't deserve to be a nine seed and they should have been better, but I think people still had much higher expectations for Miami uh than FAU. And I think FAU still kind of fit the criteria of the Cinderella because uh, they kind of remind me of like the 2013 Wichita State team with like Ron Baker and Fred Van Vliet. Like they were also a nine seed in that bottom left region. Um, and they made the final four and everyone treated them like a Cinderella, even though like on paper, they weren't really a Cinderella team either. Yeah. I mean, that's a good point. I think I, that's a good comparison for them. I mean, it was obviously same seed, kind of similar small conference team that just didn't kind of get the respect it deserved all year. Honestly, I think the biggest thing for I think you're right for Miami is that they were there last year. Honestly, I didn't really think about that. Forgot that. Honestly, I forgot they made an elite day last year. And they brought 
I mean, obviously they brought in a lot of transfers too, but but yeah, honestly, like I don't think any of them are a true Cinderella, despite their seeding. I mean, like even like San Diego State, like I mean, no one really expected like either any of those teams to make it, but I don't think like to me, none of them were shocking. Like I think if you said that, like going into the tournament, I would have been like, okay, like I wouldn't have been like that's the craziest thing. Like you know, like. When you get like your Loyola's, your I don't even know, even like UCLA when they were like an eleven seed, like though that was surprising, you know. Yeah, that was very surprising. Um, yeah, I guess also a lot of people make the case that FAU is a Cinderella, and I'm not gonna disagree with you if you do say they are, but like the whole season, like I was hearing a lot of analysts talk about like how they're like the sleeper team in March, like this is a dangerous team. Um, I listened to the field of 68 a lot and like the whole year, like they were just saying how how great they were and just like don't let this team like be considered a Cinderella. And then they ended up uh reaching their full potential in March. And maybe even if they Elamont Butler shot didn't go in and they're in the championship. Yeah. No, I agree. I mean, I think they obviously I I did not watch a lot of Florida Atlantic Owls basketball before March Madness, but <laughs> I knew who yeah. they were. I knew they were. I mean, they were they were ranked for a lot of the year by like halfway, and they only had three losses. I mean, like obviously they're playing a mid major schedule. Like they're not playing in a like other a lot of tournament teams, so it's hard to get a full gauge on it. But like, I think they certainly passed the eye test going into the tournament. Like they looked like a team that would be able to compete. Definitely, and they were more like we talked about with Conference USA. Like they're more battle tested than people thought they were. Um, yeah, but obviously not as not as like power not as battle tested as the per conference teams. Yeah, but the other um, maybe I don't know. They, they almost had a triple crown, like I said. So yeah, who knows? True. <laughs> like you said, it's all about the individual teams. It's not about generalizing the conference. So maybe the we can't fall mistake that next year with whoever that team is. Maybe it's FAU again. Who knows? Uh, but yeah, so UConn won. Obviously, goes on to play San Diego State. We alluded to it earlier, but UConn continued their dominance. Uh, it was pretty end-to-end victory. There was a late, late run by San Diego State that was a little scary. Like, there was probably, like, two minutes, maybe not even that, where you were like, maybe UConn's going to lose. Like, they got up to a pretty decent lead early, dominated the whole first half. Like, San Diego State... They didn't score for like, or they didn't make a field goal. They did because they had a couple of free throws here and there, but they didn't have a field goal for like literally 11 minutes. It was like the craziest thing ever, which is yeah. usually very difficult to win any game, but especially a national championship when you're not making a field goal for 25% of the game in a row. But I mean, that being said, if there's a team, or sorry, I mean, rough, but if, if, there's, if there is a team that's going to go 11 minutes and stop making a field and still win, it's San Diego State. It's like, not that they cut the five or six, and you kind of knew that you kind of had it, but there's still some hope, like you, like you, you implied. Yeah, so I mean, they kind of. I was gonna say, like they, they did stick around. Like I'll give them credit. UConn. I don't know if UConn was more missing shots or if it was good defense. Probably a little bit of both, but like UConn never really like pulled away like they had been. Pretty much, they had done in all the other games. It was like a, not like a, close game for most of it, but it was like a reasonable margin where like. They could have came back, and then eventually they cut it to 
what six five or six at one point like late into the late into the second half and all of a sudden you're like this might be the run where all of a sudden we have a game and then you can kind of close the door on that quickly and went on a quick run and then that was it so UConn, your national championship, I think definitely deserved. But I want to ask, are you surprised to see UConn winning at all? Um, I mean, maybe it's a little bit of hindsight bias me saying this, but like, I'm not really surprised at all right now. Like, I think as soon as they got to the Elite Eight, like, it was pretty – sorry about Gonzaga, but I think it was pretty obvious that they were the clear favorite. Um, There's just like a very modern basketball team. Like, they're very athletic. Uh, they're Atlantic team with NBA prospects and star power. Like. They finished uh, fourth in the Big East, I think at 13-7. and seven, But, um, like, the rest of the year in non-conference play in the tournament, I think everyone's seen this by now. Like, they were undefeated with all non-conference opponents, which I think should have been a more telling sign going to the tournament. I think a lot of people didn't realize how impressive that was, including myself. I'm not going to lie. But this team was obviously ranked uh, number one um, in November and December. Like, I remember they beat Alabama. That was a big win. And just at their best, um, like, I think I was – maybe I wasn't, but I think a lot of other people were confident this is the best team in the country. I just really wasn't sure if they could put it together for six straight games, and they did. Uh, what do you think, Nate? Yeah, I mean, I think that's pretty spot on. I feel like, obviously, like, they were great for the first, I don't know, three months of the season, two, three months of the season. Like, are probably the best team in basketball. And then they have one bad month, January, where they lose – six games i believe like six out of eight or something like that and all of a sudden the yeah, sky's falling they i think they fall all the way out of the top 25 and then they sort of get it back together i think they dropped maybe a couple more games in Big East play after that and like people just kind of like pretty much at that point are writing them off because they're like well i feel like non-conference play uh the thing with non-conference play is just weird because i feel like if you do poorly they use it against you but if you do well it doesn't really do anything it's a good point like people just kind of people just kind of forget unless you lose because then they're like oh you lost to so-and-so but people i feel like it's rare people like pull back and besides when it's like a head-to-head sort of thing when you're like like looking back on like individual like specific matchups like i feel like it's rare that people are like oh like uconn went 17 and 0 in non-conference play they're just like yeah you you can drop six games in Big East play, so they're not good anymore. And I feel like that yeah. was just like not a lot of not a lot of people considered it, including myself. And like I thought UConn was a pretty good team. I thought they're underseeded, probably should have been a three seed. I mean, that's not that different than a four at the end of the day. But like I did I thought they were capable of winning it all. I didn't have the heart to do it because I have Gonzaga was coming out of that region for me oh pretty much regardless of who else was gonna be in it. So, like, I was – I did pick them to, like, the only day. I thought they were going to be Kansas. So, like, I, I definitely respected them as a team and thought they were capable of it. But, again, like you said, like, I didn't – I wasn't sure, like, just with the way that Big East play went that they could do it for six straight games. Yeah. Um, I also had them in the lead eight. Uh, I, I, had, I had them in the final four. And then after I did that, I was like, it doesn't feel right. And I, I took them out and put them back in the lead eight. Uh, I think a big part of that was kind of ruined with my heart there. I really wanted Gonzaga to get out of that region, almost for your sake. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I think this definitely was, you can make a case, it's the most talented team in the country. Um, I think it was the best team in the country. And I think the only reason why 
So I don't know if we could hear the alarm. Um, also change that. Oh, I guess, yeah, I guess the inconsistency was kind of the thing that I think threw everyone off during conference play. Like when they lost, a, they got swept by St. John's, who like was not a great team this year. Um, and I, having said that, though, like kind of the overarching theme here was their talent um, and how much star power they had. Uh, I think every Big East fan could tell you that like they were the most talented team in the conference. Uh, Marquette beat them twice, actually. But like, you know, I live and breathe Marquette basketball. But in my Big East bracket, I still had uh, UConn winning it all there. And I think everyone knew they were kind of be playing their, their best basketball in March again, for at least from a Big East fan's perspective. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I think the talent was pretty much always on question. It was just a matter of if you fully they could be cohesive enough to figure it out and string six games together. But I think yeah, a lot of it, testament to your conference, the Big East. I mean, I think the Big East came out of this tournament looking like maybe like the best conference in the country. Yeah, they definitely made a good case. Um, I'd still kind of in between on that. I'm still in between the Big 12 and the Big East because I think the whole the consensus was like the Big 12, like top to bottom is the best conference. But Big East at the top, they kind of, they definitely made their presence known. I think I'm not going to disagree either way if you say the Big East or the Big 12. Yeah, I mean, obviously the Big East, I think, like, overall had the most success in this tournament, but the Big 12 is definitely, I think it's unquestionably the deepest one. I mean, obviously they didn't have any teams in the Final Four, but between Texas, Kansas State, Kansas, I don't even know, Baylor, who didn't do that well, ultimately, but, like, even just, like, top to bottom, like, West Virginia, like, it's a very deep conference, and, like, obviously... Didn't get it done, but like we like I was saying earlier, it's you can't really define it by the teams by their conference. I mean, I think it's kind of especially with all the realignment happening, it's pretty arbitrary at this point to be like this team can do well because they're in this conference and this team can't because they're in this one. I mean, it doesn't really matter at the end of the day. Yeah, I guess we'll also add Houston next year. Now I think about it, but like you said, the key theme here, it's all about the individual teams it's not about generalizing the conferences um a friend I mentioned earlier when you were talking about how non-conference like it's kind of a lose-lose situation I think the biggest thing in March is just going into the tournament like you need to be playing your best basketball the whole year like it doesn't really at that point it doesn't really matter what you were doing as much in November December it matters like is your team kind of reaching their stride at the right time um, I think Illinois is a good example of that obviously we'll go more into it later, but like Illinois had, we looked our best in, against like UCLA and uh, Texas, I guess even those games were both kind of comeback games, but anyway, those were kind of our best wins for a while in November and December. And then going into the tournament, um, we lost to Penn State, lost to Ohio State. It, it was kind of just kind of getting colder at that time. And by the time you got to the tournament, like those non-conference wins, they're still on your resume. They still help your seed, but they don't really reflect who your team is at that time as much. Yeah, I know. Absolutely. I mean, I think non-conference is a good opportunity to kind of learn who you are as a team, but I don't think it's mm -hmm. still conference play. And then you really like kind of have your identity. Definitely. That's a good way to put it. Um, all right. Now the inevitable question kind of on the same topic. Uh, do you think UConn is officially a blue blood? I think it's weird because I think if you just compare their resume without the negatives, it's unquestioned. Like, if you compare the Final Fours, National Championships, 
like conference titles, whatever, I think it wouldn't even be a debate. I think just the interesting part about it is how many times they've like missed the tournament entirely, which is the reason like you're kind of holding back. I would still go yes. I think what they I think it's UCLA's ahead of them, uh Kentucky's ahead of them, UNC's ahead of them, national championship wise. And then they're tied with Duke and Indiana. So I would say yes. And I think just the way they've done it, especially like because they've done what four in the last 25 years now. So like I think it's five now. Yeah. Five, four. I know it's five total. I don't remember. I think it was I think it was just four in the last I think it was ninety-nine. Oh, oh, you're right. I think you're right. Yeah, since ninety nine, oh. they've had four, but it's five. I believe I think yeah, yeah I don't know I forget what it is but regardless the short answer for me is yes I think the next five national titles is definitely enough and just like the longevity of success that they've been able to do it for and the amount of NBA players they've produced and just whatnot I think they've proven that it's definitely I mean not to say like I don't think it's in the same degree as like Duke or Kentucky or North Carolina but I think definitely a modern blue blood. And I think, like, it also depends how you're like, looking at it, too, because, like, UCLA, obviously, they have the most championships, but they were all so long ago. But, like, they're in the yeah. same conversation as the other blue bloods. So I think if you're putting UCLA in there with Duke, Kentucky, in my opinion, Duke, Kentucky, UNC are, like, all-time just, like, the best basketball programs in college. Like, just like yeah. throughout each era, but if you're just going like overall resumes, I think you have to put UConn in there now. Yeah, I agree. Um, like you said, they're kind of a modern blue blood. They're definitely not your typical blue blood, but they still fit the criteria. And I think, like whatever your criteria is, they kind of with all the positive things they've done now, they've kind of fit the criteria more than Indiana has, and maybe even UCLA also. Like it's much harder to to win in this era where there's 64 or 68 teams in the tournament compared to when there was like 16, 24, how many, however many less teams it was in like the, the yeah. 70s when Indiana and UCLA were winning. I mean, um, it was like whatever the John Bill Walton and Kareem. Uh, I don't even know, to be honest. I don't know who was there when they won all their titles, but I know one of them was there or maybe both of them won there. Bill Walton, probably Bill both. Walton. I know Bill Walton won some. But they were probably playing yeah. against like plumbers and farmers. Like that, that doesn't count. Yeah. Um, yeah, that it's definitely a, there's a cliche stereotype, but there's definitely it's a cliche for a reason. There's a lot of truth to it that the, the talent back then is just absolutely nowhere near as that now. Um, I just think what makes you kind of a different type of blue blood is that like you think like when you're younger, like everyone kind of wants to play for Duke, like everyone kind of wants to play for UNC. Like those are like the dream schools, they're like really flashy like everyone's always wearing their clothes all the time and then with UConn like you have this team like from the Jersey area like kind of like rugged and, and tough like a chip on their shoulder like they're a much different stores um, Connecticut yeah it's a much different like persona with this team um but kind of they still fit the criteria and I think the fact that they've had more success in the modern era um definitely is a testament to them being a blue blood, I guess, long story short. Yeah, no, absolutely. So, I, so long story short, they're not a typical blue blood, but they certainly fit the criteria in my opinion. Yeah. Okay. I think we're on a similar page there. I think I have one more question. 
Yeah, we've got to say the same things over and over. Just about UConn's run. Um, yeah. So obviously, I think one of the storylines was there was a lot of upsets in this tournament, right? Obviously, UConn was end up being the highest seed in the Final Four, and the highest seed they played, uh, I guess, lowest seed they played was Gonzaga in the Elite Eight, and they avoided Kansas. They avoided their one seed. Like, do you think any of these higher seeded teams? that got knocked out would have beaten them. Like, obviously, you just play who's in front of you. You can't control that. So I'm not saying to take anything away with them with this question, but, like, is there any, any like, other teams that they didn't play, any of the higher seeds that you think would have been a good matchup for them and, like, could have knocked them off? Um, I mean, my first thought there was I already said it once. Marquette beat them twice, man. It makes it so frustrating yeah. that, that that tough draw at a time is on the second round. But – um, and one of those losses was in the Big East tournament in the semifinals. So it was like it was UConn's last loss of the year. Um, but to answer your question, I I do think so. Like I think UConn was obviously they'd still be a championship caliber team any single year. But if there was a better field, they would be much more vulnerable to like an earlier upset. Like they were struggling with um they were struggling with Iona the first game, and then they turned it around that and it turned around that game. Yeah, so only half of them, only half they lost. Yeah, it was kind of similar to um, Miami a little bit. With they were struggling with Drake, and then they Miami were, should have lost to Drake though. Yeah, they, they were, were down late. They were down. they were down with like thirty seconds. I'm pretty sure. I mean, at least UConn didn't really have a doubt. They got up like twenty after like five minutes into the yeah. second half. That's what that's what the best teams do. Those first five minutes of the second half, you know. Our high school basketball coaches said it too. First five minutes, of the second half are arguably the most important minutes of the game, and I think that's always where you see the best coaches. Because I think the best coaches, they kind of, I guess maybe shine the most with their ha- their halftime adjustments. Um, like Shaka Smart does a great job with this. Like a team could play all their cards in the first half, and then the second half, as soon as it starts, the best coaches know how to kind of exploit those weaknesses and kind of minimize those strengths. And I think. That Iona game was a great example of uh, Danny Hurley, um, like getting UConn on the right page right away as soon as the second half started. Um, but yeah, to answer your question, um, I think any other year they, like the games would have been much more exciting in their run. Like Danny Hurley was criticized a lot this year for not being able to win close games, and unfortunately for UConn's sake, that wasn't a problem. They just they never got just, one. <laughs> yeah, they just breathed through the whole field. Um, but I think, yeah, they're a championship caliber team, but any other year, it's it's a much more of a coin flip than this being a, a breeze this year. Uh, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I just think it would have been interesting if they ended up playing, like, one of these, like, I guess just, like, more hyped-up teams, like, Tech. if they ended up playing Texas instead of Miami or if Houston made it out of that, just like playing going up against that Houston defense, I think would have been a good matchup for them. But Definitely. just the way, it, just the way it goes, honestly. I mean, I think you can't take anything away from them for not having to play some of the other like. Not to discredit the teams that made it, like I mean, I feel like we've done a good job saying they deserved it throughout. But like, I think it would have been interesting to see them play, like in Alabama or Houston or Texas or. Any of those teams. I mean, not Purdue, obviously, but we all know how that one would have went. Oh, man. you were the biggest, biggest Purdue hater this whole year. Oh, and I, I look like a genius for it now. Yeah, I remember like we talked 
about off camera like the whole year you're like they're gonna lose in the first weekend they're gonna lose the first weekend but you never expected them to lose the the first game that was that was even more surprising yeah. than your expectations yeah i mean i said they're gonna lose in the first weekend i think it was either late january or early february it was like it was before the public started hitting purdue that's all i'm gonna say i was i was in the purdue negative train before the whole world was on the purdue negative train yeah um yeah, I think this year, I think it was just a year earlier than Purdue was supposed to be really good. And next year, I'm on a huge fan of Matt Painter. Like, I think obviously he's facing a lot of criticism right now, losing to like three straight double digit seeds the past couple of years. But they're going to get a two I'm, seed still... or no, three seed next year and then lose to the 14 seed. Is that the one he needs oh, to get it... the to get the full like sweep? He's just, there's um... like. Years ago, they lost to North Texas in the, the first round. It was 13 seed. It's okay. So last year, they lost to St. Peter's 15. And then this year is six. Yeah, so it'll be the 14. Okay, so they need to get a three seed and then lose in the first round next year. And then he's easily on his, <laughs> easily on his way to losing to every seed. That's just the only hard one he has left. Yeah, that, that would be the most unique. I don't want to say accomplishment. Unique. Like feature of a coach that <laughs> I'll say accomplishment. I'll say that I mean, it's, it's an accomplishment resume. because he had to have enough good teams that he had to play all those low seeds. So it's an accomplishment yeah. in a way. Obviously, it's not like the legacy you'd want for getting all the high seeds, but it's a legacy nonetheless if he pulls it off. That's true. I think. The thing is with Matt Painter, like this team was supposed to be nowhere near where they would where where they were. Like they didn't start the season ranked. They were kind of like in the bubble conversation in the preseason. And then like he completely had this team reach their full potential. It's definitely a lot of you when you have a seven foot four big man, but still like this team was not supposed to be anything special. And I think what makes Matt Painter a good coach is that maybe not so much in March recently, but he has these teams reach their full potential, um, no matter how talented they are. And I think that's why maybe, I, you know, no, I'm going to stick with this take. I've been saying it the whole year. I think Matt Painter is the most underrated coach in the country. And hopefully next year for Purdue's sake, he proves people wrong and kind of gets the one thing off his back, kind of gets the one negative thing off his back and just making a March run. Like 2019, they were super close in that Virginia game um, where they fouled, it's always the right idea, in my opinion, to foul when you're up three. And then it's still somehow with that uh, Kihei Clark to uh, Mamadi Diakite uh, buzzer beater to send it to overtime. That was such a crazy ending. And, like, hypothetically, if that, goes, if that game goes different, Purdue was in the Final Four just, uh, just four years ago. And I think there's a different conversation to be had about Matt Painter. But I think he definitely has something to prove now. Yeah, I mean, I think... I think he's a good coach. I mean, obviously, like, it didn't go his way this year. But I think he's a good coach, produced a good program. And I think just the reality is you always – everyone says you can't do it until you do it. I mean, it was the same with Mark Buick and Zaga. It was the same even with Jay Wright before he won the – ultimately made a Final Four with Villanova when he was there. Same with Tony Bennett. I mean, at Virginia, like you said, they beat Purdue. I mean, it's always the same story. You can't do it, and then they end up doing it. It just takes the right team, the right run to pull it all together. Definitely. And like this, 
a lot of March comes down to your guard play and having a freshman backcourt and Braden Smith and Fletcher Lawyer, who both had great years, but I think they were just too young and too inexperienced for the moment in March. And next year, they, I think they'll kind of use this as an opportunity for growth. And next year, they'll be a lot better when on the biggest stage. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, I've said enough about them. They couldn't be depressed, but they'll, they're yeah. young. They're inexperienced. And they should return everyone. Like, they'll be good next year. But I think the last thing I want to talk about UConn before we start getting into a little off-season talk is um, – <laughs> okay, we'll take a quick break, and then we'll yeah, do that. Oh, what are you about to say? We can, get, we can keep going. <laughs> you can just go to the bathroom. I'm just going to – All right, yeah. I've drank a lot of water. But for those who don't know, I just texted – I text him, I drank a lot of water. Guys, <laughs> the bathroom. So I'll be right back. I'll be right <laughs> back. You don't need to announce it. I'm just gonna edit it out. Uh, sorry about that. I had to go in like, the whole time. I was, I was like, we we're about to get into off season talk. I thought that was a good breaking point. <laughs> yeah. All good, man. Yeah. All right. Should we get back into it? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So okay. you're, about, you're about to see about UConn. You said one more point about UConn. And then. Yeah. Okay. So, last thing we touched on UConn wise before we talk about the offseason. I just want to look back and go through our rankings. How do you compare this championship team to, we'll go last 10. Mm-hmm. I can start, I started number one. I have a feeling we said the same team, but I could be wrong. I see it. Who do you have? For me, I have 2018 Villanova at number one. I think. I have. <laughs> who do you have? I have, I have the same team. I also have 18. Okay, yeah. I think that was an easy choice. I mean, they were just obviously UConn was dominant in their run, but they were so dominant and they beat really good teams. And they had Jalen Brunson, Mikel Bridges, Dante DiVincenzo. And those were yeah. the those were like the three most notable players, but also they had other I think it was Omari Spellman on the team too. It was oh, Phil Booth, Booth on that team too? Like they were so deep, so good. Like, I think, I don't know. There's really not, there's not much analysis. They're just really good. 
Yeah, I mean, and like, like Jay Wright did like such an incredible job like building up that Villanova program and kind of having them as like a well-oiled machine as John Rusty would always call it. And that was kind of like the peak year like of any team he's had. Like that was just like, like a great program really coming into fruition with like just an unbelievable team. Like they really had no flaws. I mean, they had six NBA players. They had Dante DiVincenzo coming off the bench and he's their sixth man. Yeah. Um, which is crazy to think about. Was, and he was Brunson like, was, was, okay. was Brunson player of the year that year too? Yeah, he was. That was his junior year. Um, Divin, and DiVincenzo, I remember he had that 31 point game against Michigan in the championship where he had that, he had that three where he winked at the camera afterwards. Like you just knew like, like no one was stopping them that year. Yeah, I mean, they were just so dominant. And, like, obviously, looking back, like, unquestionably talented. Mm -hmm. And I think, like, Mikel Bridges, he's, like, one of the best role players in the NBA. Like, he's going to play, like, 83 games this year. Mikel Bridges might be an all-star next year. Yeah, I think he could be. He's, like, he's just, like, him and Brunson are just, like, the perfect players that can, like, fit well on, on any team. They're just winning players. And, like... I can go on and on and on about both of them, especially Brunson. Like, like we've known about him since high school because, like, he's he went to Stevenson, like, a nearby area. Like, he's always just been such, like, he hasn't been the most athletic player, but, like, his IQ, like, his work ethic, his ability to lead a team is just unmatched. Like, it's it's crazy how, like, like this. I guess it's just crazy how good of, like, a, a general facilitator and a point guard he is, uh, really on both ends of the floor. And I remember another quick thing. I heard – but also made him so dangerous in college basketball and maybe still in the NBA too. I, I could be wrong, but he was really good at posting up players. So like his like post-up efficiency was like better than most big men. And this is your, this is your point guard doing this in March. Like, like any, like you can go on and on and on. My thoughts are kind of just going over the place for now, this Villanova team, but like it was a flawless team and like they were the most dominant team in the past 10 years. No question. Yeah. I think the last thing I just want to say is, like you said with Brunson, I feel like he's just been a guy that just like, continues to surprise, like at every level he's played at. Like every every place he goes, he overperforms, and not overperforms, but just like beats expectations. And I think like especially like this offseason, like when he signed with the Knicks, I feel like that was everyone was like, oh yeah, they overpaid him. Like the Knicks just wanted a name, like, and then he's been awesome this year. Like probably, I think he, I thought he should have been an All Star. Was at least at the very least in the conversation to be an all star, and like everywhere he's gone, he's just been good. Yeah, I think in the NBA, it's like it's a lot harder to be an all star nowadays because there's so many players that are deserving, and he just kind of got on. He just kind of got off the wrong. Uh, he was just on the wrong side of the conversation, but he definitely was very deserving of all star still. Okay, but uh, let's go to number two. Uh, no. Number two, I wrote I wrote these teams in tiers. By the way, I have four tiers, and then this oh, wow. next team is the end of my my first tier. So, tier one, number one was twenty eighteen Villanova for me, and then the last team of tier one for me was twenty twenty one Baylor. Okay, I'm still on the same page here. I have twenty twenty one Baylor number two as well. Yeah, I mean, I was kind of expecting us to have the same first two teams, but the rest of the list is where it's gonna get gonna get interesting. Yeah, um, it got a lot harder after two. Two, I was like. These are for sure the two best. And then after yeah. that, it was kind of like, I don't really know. But that Baylor team was really fun to watch. Also, like, kind of was a little similar to the Villanova team in terms of, I think, of Scott Drew. He's always coached a great program. And then they had 
so many guards. Like I remember my favorite one to watch was Damian Mitchell. Um, but yeah, we don't have to talk too much about them. Let's get let's get into maybe your number three team. Well, they beat Gonzaga. That was sad. That makes them the best. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, That's it was true. like I everyone. I really enjoyed Baylor that year, though. I feel like they were kind of just on like they were just like clearly the two best teams the whole year, and they were kind of on a collision course to go playing the national championship. They're supposed to play earlier in the year, and then because of COVID or something, oh, I think yeah. it got canceled. So they didn't end up playing, and then ultimately they ended up playing in the championship. Obviously, it didn't go Gonzaga's way. Baylor killed them, and deservedly so. Yeah. But I think, yeah, it was just fun to see that. I mean, I feel like it's so rare. Like you got like two teams that are that dominant, and then they even like actually end up playing because usually one of them somehow loses before. So it was just like a fun season to see the two best teams actually play, and then Baylor. I think the way the yeah. game went, they definitely were the better team. As much as I do agree with you, say. the two best teams all year. But being a, a heartbroken Illinois fan that year, seeing uh seeing Loyola Chicago knock us out in the round of thirty two, that was that what was, was tough. That, I thought what was that guy's name with the mustache? Cameron Crotwig. You uh, guys lost to Cameron yes. Crotwig. You guys weren't even yes. close. I think. Well, going into the tournament, I thought Illinois was the hottest team in the country. Like, I thought they were playing their best basketball at the right team, right time. Um, but yeah, I think the reason we lost that game is because uh, it was so frustrating. Brad Underwood just wasn't making any adjustments, so that was honest, ultimately ultimately our downfall. Like, because we were just we we're so predictable as good as we were. Like every single time we got down the court, we tried to run a high pick and roll between Io and Kofi. Which, like, if we're gonna run a high pick and roll with anyone, like that might be one of the best duos in the country. But like when you know it's coming every single time, Lilo just consistently found a way to stop it and, and Brad Underwood wasn't making any adjustments to kind of change the offensive scheme. And then on defense, Crowing just out of all players, like you talk about talk about player people look like farmers and plumbers. That guy that guy destroyed he probably, us. Is, like, he probably is a farmer right now, as we speak. Yeah, he, he, uh, yeah, it looked like he came off the local farm. <laughs> but yeah, oh, geez, that's oh man, that was that was a tough day. I remember, like, cause I remember, like, the whole campus was just buzzing. Like, after we won the Big Ten championship, it was like, like I just remember walking down Green Street, like the most popular part of campus, and like the streets were just flooded with everyone and pure joy, and like. And but it didn't feel like the end either. It felt like we're gonna keep going, and then it just abruptly stopped in the round of thirty-two, just because Porter Moser just completely outcoached Brett Underwood in that game. That's really what it all came down to, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, I remember that one. It was just it was a tough one for Illinois. But I think also yeah. your point about like them being the hottest team. I think there is some truth to actually. You may not want to be that hot. You don't want to be cold. I'm not saying you want to be cold going into March Madness, but you might not want to be hot because. It's hard to like be that hot and then win six more games in a row. Yeah, I think good example. Another another heartbreak is Marquette this year, man. They were like, I think we we're on a, a ten or eleven game winning streak and then draw Tom Izzo on the run of thirty two and then it really. Well, I'll talk more about it later, but it was really just an off night. Like, like Shock is an like unbelievable coach in my opinion. He doesn't get enough credit for how good coach, he is. But coach of the year. Yeah, exactly. Uh, he's won three he out of the four. Credit. Coach of the year. <laughs> yeah, you're right. You're right. Now he's getting his credit. You're right. Um, 
And I actually, I'm not going to treat Underwood like the scapegoat as much. We'll talk about more when we talk about like our own teams, like previewing the offseason. Um, but yeah, I remember that Loyola Chicago team was like, even though they were an eight seed, they were like, they were ranked the whole year. They were in Kempom top 15, top 20 the whole year. They were a lot better than an eight seed. That being said, you still, when you're in one seed, you can't be losing that, that round of 32 game. But I think that that team was better than what they were seeded for sure. Um, and yeah, and Baylor was like we said, like we were talking about the championship teams. Baylor was definitely the best team in the whole tournament, no doubt. Yeah. Um, All right, let's get to number three. I feel like it's easy to get on tangents when we're going year by year here, but yeah. <laughs> um, number three. This is the first team I have in the tier two. I have a feeling I don't know where you're gonna have this team, but I don't think they'll be number three for you. Um, I chose 2013 Louisville, and technically that title is vacated now, so. Yeah, they didn't um, win actually. It doesn't count. Yeah, so nothing, there was, that was a, just like the COVID year. Nobody won that year. Uh, no, <laughs> was, I I did not have them that high. I didn't have them. I had Louisville down at seven. Ooh, I kind of I thought they could. Um, I don't know. That was weird uh, because that was so long ago. But you can you can talk about it a little more. I mean, obviously they were good. I, I mean, Peyton Siva was awesome. I remember watching him. Russ Smith, Luke Hancock was a March legend. And then Gorgie nice. Jang. I mean, they had a legit NBA big. Like, they are a really good team. And that's all with Patino coaching the squad. Obviously, like, he was recruiting those players in a way that was very unethical and highly illegal. But he still was a, an amazing coach on the court. And, like, he had all that talent. Um, and I think it's worth mentioning that they were in – this was the last year of the old Big East when there was, like – Far and away, like no dispute, the best conference in college basketball, and they were ended the year on a 19 game winning streak, which is, which is crazy. Like, there's not a lot of teams that are that dominant, um, in the old Big East like that. Um, I guess some teams were, but that's beside the point. Um, they were just like, definitely a veteran team that just kind of breezed through the field, almost like, not quite like UConn did this year, but they weren't really challenged that much until the very end when they're. I think they were losing to Michigan by like one or two at halftime. And then, but they kind of, you kind of do, they're the best team going into the tournament and they were the clear favorite. Everyone picked them as their winner. At least maybe it's part of it. They could be nostalgia why I picked them this high, but I remember everyone had them as their winner in their bracket and they delivered. Yeah. I think that might've been the, it was one of the last teams I've gotten right as the national championship. Looking back yeah. at this list, I want to say, hmm, have I gotten any other teams since then? I'm not very good at picking the winner because I always go biased with my winner pretty much. But yeah, I know I didn't pick. I think that might be the last team I've gotten right. I Maybe I got Villanova right. I think I got Villanova right the second, the 2018. Mm -hmm. That sounds right. But They're also, right. Like, everyone picked them. So I wasn't, I wasn't special or unique by picking them that year. Yeah, it's their pretty clear consensus that year. And they were a number one team in the past 10 years for a reason. I think most people would agree with that. Uh, they're number one on that list, too. Um, yeah, I guess that Louisville team is highly debatable for a lot of reasons. But I think our consensus there is a five, I guess. Just average out three and seven. Um, consensus list, I guess we'll say, is a five. Uh, Who would you have at, yeah. at number four? 
Um, you just go, you just go through your list, and then I'll just tell you where I, I put them for the rest of the way. I feel like that'll be easier. Okay. Um, at number four, I this is the team where I kind of struggle the most where to put them. Um, but I ended up choosing uh, last year's Kansas team, twenty twenty two Kansas Jayhawks. Well, I just I I did not have them that high. Where'd you have them? I uh, I had them all the way down at eight. Oh man. Uh, yeah, I guess they were a pretty like susceptible team to an upset. They were down by fourteen at the half to UNC, but I just think. Basically, I think it's just like a, I think it's just like a classic case of a great team and a great program. Like they're they're a really really old team with prominent veteran leader, prominent veteran veteran leadership. That's tongue twister for some reason. Um, like OJ Abaji uh, was amazing. Uh, Christian Braun has been there. He's a veteran. Uh, David McCormick. I'm pretty sure he was there for two years. Is he's he's no, he's not there anymore. Um, no, but yeah, he was there. Yeah, and Jalen Wilson was a great role player. Like, I think a sign of a really good program is when someone could buy into their role really well as a role player, and then the next year when everyone leaves, that said role player is, like, a star. Like, and that's there's no better example of that than Jalen Wilson this year, who is arguably the best player in the country. And last year he was just, like, a, people thought he was, like, a limited role player. But I think that's what makes – the best team so good it's just everyone buying into their roles and i think this Kansas team is a great example of that um i mean bill self he's amazing coach that's also kind of the reason i had them this high uh he knows how to recruit well he coaches well uh he develops talent really well like oj abaje oh oj abaje i mispronounced that a little bit like he was Close he was enough. like a, yeah uh a body and last year i would have been able to pronounce it more but i'm just uh i just haven't pronounced his name in a while so i'm a little rusty with the pronunciation but anyway he was like he was like super under the radar recruit out of milwaukee like i think bill self was the first recruit first coach to recruit him out of a power conference program and just overall this is the team that's just like a great example of um a great program just having a great year yeah i mean i think you're not wrong i think I think your point about Jalen Wilson, I think that's a good point that just having this sort of continuity where you can have your players become role players and star players. And I think mm-hmm. you see that a lot in programs like Villanova, Kansas, Duke. Like you when you got players coming back in programs like that, yeah, you just know I feel like you know they're bought in. Yeah, and especially like in that in Marquette right now too. It's all about the continuity and player development. Sorry, I didn't mean, I didn't mean to interrupt you again. Keep going. Yeah, I was just going to say, like, in the era, like, in the era now with, like, the transfer portal and NIL and, like, all these players are, like, it's kind of like stepping stones. It's like, you have a good year at a small program. You're going to the bigger program, making more money, being on a more national stage. But I feel like when you have, a, like, a blue blood program like Kansas, like, you get that kind of buy-in. I think that's important. And I think obviously, I mean, all these teams are good. There really isn't a right or wrong answer for these. I just think the reason I had Kansas lower on my list was just because I felt like, at least compared to like some of these other teams, they felt more beatable to me. I mean, I feel like they had more like clear flaws. And obviously, none yeah, of these teams are perfect, but like that was just my perspective looking at them. I mean, and I feel like. I have a better grasp of them than I think a lot of these teams just because it was just only a year ago. And like, just like watching Kansas last year, like they didn't feel like a total, like 
dominant like wagon team where you're like this is the best team in the country yeah i i do agree with that i think yeah i think with the eye test with this team they definitely don't pass it as well as a lot of these other champions do i just think kind of similar to my logic with like jay wright having his best team um at the peak of his time like at the peak of his, at the peak of his time with villanova i thought this kind of like in theory or the idea of this team is what made it so good it was just kind of a blue blood program having a a championship which is like very just intimidating i guess so maybe i think yeah they don't pass the eye test as well as the other as well as these other teams do um but they still have a lot of talent and a lot of positive attributes that a lot of these other teams just don't really have but i do think it's very fair to have them towards the bottom of this list i really could have seen this team anywhere so who do you have at um, five um this actually take it back what i said about kansas being the most confusing team to rank this was the most confusing team to rank and i'm not going to disagree with you wherever you put them you can i can see them as high as three or really as low as nine but i had them at five um it was the 2019 virginia team okay i had them i mean like i had them at six i i like them though i think they're a very polarizing yeah. team because Obviously, they play Virginia basketball, which is polarizing in itself. And most people, most people don't that's, like it. Most people yeah, are not enjoyers of Virginia team. basketball. But I think this team was really good. I mean, they, obviously, it was the whole redemption arc with, after losing to the 16 seed. But mm-hmm. obviously, they played phenomenal defense, like pretty much all Virginia teams do. But I think the reason I think they're so good is, I, I mean, Kyle Guy was a legit guard. Like, they had a legit guard play. They had NBA talent and DeAndre Hunter, who, I mean, he's now hasn't been more than a role player in the NBA, but he was a lottery pick. And I just think that they do, I think they had the guard play and the talent to hang with a lot of these like big blue blood or just like, I guess, more branded championship teams. Yeah, that's, um, that's a really good way to put it. Yeah, I think this is such a polarizing team because like not many teams play that kind of pack line defense and not many teams play, like in general, play as low as Virginia, but they're also just not even just like championship teams play as slow as them. Like they're one of the slowest teams in the country, and you weren't sure that like a slow, this low pace is going to work, like the snail's pace is going to work in March. I think the only other team that can really compare to that almost won a championship but didn't was the 2015 Wisconsin team with like Frank Kaminsky and Sam Decker, um, those guys, um, like one of Bo Ryan's last year's coaching. But yeah, I think you make a good point that they had the talent and they had the guard play to be considered a, like an upper echelon um, championship team in the last 10 years. So I think that's um, good analysis by you there, Nate. <laughs> Thanks, man. And then, <laughs> no problem. And then that was the end of my tier two. Uh, tier three at number six. Speaking of that 2015 Wisconsin team, the team they lost to was my number six ranked team, 2015 Duke with Jalil Kafour, Justice Winslow, and uh, Grayson Allen. It was kind of the big three. And Grayson Allen wasn't even like really one of the better players on that team the whole year. I guess he was one of the better players, obviously, but he was kind of under the radar and his breakout performance in college basketball was that championship game when Duke was kind of out of it a little bit. And then he kind of gave them the spark um, off I think yeah, he gave he gave them a spark off the bench, and that's kind of ultimately what won them. Ultimately, 
what won them that game. So I got to slow down a little bit. I'm trying to, I'm speaking too fast at all these thoughts. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I like that pick. I had Duke at number three on my list. And I hate Duke. Like, I'm a, I'm a Duke hater. I'm a Coach K hater. I was not a fan. But I think I have a lot of respect for this team. I didn't think, obviously, like you said, Grayson Allen, I mean, he had, at this point, he was pretty much a, I mean, he was a role player, a significant role player, but he was not like a star player at this point in his college career. But that big three of Big Ja, Tyus Jones, Justice Winslow was awesome. Like, so much talent. And then I think just like the cherry on top was that they had Quinn Cook still as their point guard to lead the team. Yeah. Do they have completely, completely wrong, but do they have Tyus Jones on that team too? Tyus Jones, that, yeah. Yeah. I remember he hit the shot that kind of, he hit the dagger at the end of the game um, when Wisconsin was like, they're kind of out of it, but still like hanging around late in crunch time. And then he hit that three that kind of, um, that kind of secured the win for Duke. Yeah, I mean that. I mean they're all freshmen, obviously that big three, but they're they're a lot of fun to watch. I think part of the reason, part of the reason I know just like a little biased why I think I like them so much is just because I feel like that Final Four was just one of the most fun Final Fours of like being a college basketball fan with them playing Wisconsin and then obviously the undefeated Kentucky team. And who, don't I, I don't know that Denzel Valentine, Michigan State. Yeah, I mean it was just like all like fun programs with like great players and I think Duke coming out on top of that as much as it hates me to say it makes me have a lot of respect for that team not that I never yeah. don't respect them but you know didn't want to see yeah, them no, respect them but you dislike them there's there's a fine line between the two and I think that's where you stand um wow that team actually did have much more talent than I remember i and that have it, they're they're moving up a tier after hearing that. Maybe I had them as high as three like you did, but they're definitely a tier two team, not a tier three after talking about them. Um, that would have been fun for them to play that Kentucky team too. I, I kind of forgot about that. That 38 and one team, they're undefeated the whole year. Yeah. I mean, that Kentucky team was I mean, if they won, they would have been number one on our list, and it wouldn't even be close. And even as yeah. good as much as I love that Villanova team and that Baylor we were talking about, like that Kentucky team was like ridiculous. Yeah, they almost lost in the lead eight too. I remember they lost the yeah, they Notre lost Dame. The, yeah, the Jerry and Grant Notre Dame. They had him. Notre Dame had him, and then Kentucky just they made a super late run, like within the last minute or some minute or two or something like that, to barely get by. And then Wisconsin is just like I guess it's just a good example of a maybe the best example of just like a having a really old team just having that that experience um, help you in March against a really young team. That's kind of like San Diego State, Alabama this year. Now I think about it. Like San Diego yeah. State, they're a veteran team. Alabama was a much younger team. It's a good comparison. Um, yeah. Uh, number seven, I have 2016 Villanova. Okay. I have them at four. So I had, I had them after, right after Duke as well. Yeah, they're obviously they're really good. or obviously all these teams are really good. They won the championship. Sorry, what are you about to say? Yeah, I was just saying, like obviously they weren't as good as the 2018 team, but they were still really good too. And they probably would in the most exciting way of any of these teams. So bonus bonus points there, obviously with the Chris Jenkins shot. But yeah, I mean they are really good. 
some players carried over from the 2018 team. Obviously, it was Brunson's freshman year. He wasn't as wasn't player of the year Brunson at the time, but still an impactful player. I think Josh Hart was Josh Hart player of the year. Or he was. He a, was. I want to say he was as well. Yeah, like the two like veteran leaders on that team who weren't on the 2018 team. Yeah, and Josh Hart's awesome. And this might be biased because like I really like watching him now, but I I think they're a really good team. Obviously, they were a team. They weren't really necessarily a team that a lot of people expected to win a national championship that year, but I think deservingly they unquestionably were the best team that year in the end. Yeah, I'm also a huge Josh Hart fan, by the way. Um, huge fan. Then he was my screensaver for remember, a couple of weeks, freshman year of high school. But then I was like, he's in the same conference as Mark Kett. I got, got to take that off. Yeah, um, I can't but yeah, I, just, I think while you were explaining that, I realized I think a reason this 2016 Villanova team kind of goes under the radar, at least I kind of fell victim to this too, is because it's so often compared to that 2018 team. And it's so easy to just have it be overshadowed by a team just two years later. But like you said, this is an amazing team. Um, like Renard Chidakino and Josh Hart were, I don't want to say a one-two punch because they played so well as a team. Like uh, Mikhail Bridges was on, that, was on that team too. Jalen Brunson was on that team. Jalen Brunson didn't even play in crunch time in the championship. It was Phil Booth who kind of who kind yeah. of in that role with the team. Um, and that was, I think, not only did they win in the most exciting way, that was also probably the second best story after the Virginia redemption arc was like that Villanova team for was just labeled as a team that's good choke in the round of 32 every March. Like people really counted them out. They counted out Jay Wright. They counted out uh, this Villanova teams that the whole year, they didn't really get any credit because people just were so used to them losing the round of 32. Like in 2014, they lost to the seven seed UConn team who ended up winning the championship. We'll talk more about them later, obviously. Then 2015, um, they lost who they lose in the second round that year. They lost to Wisconsin ago. one of the years. That was 2017. I don't know what year that was. I just know they lost to Wisconsin as a one seed. Yeah, I think I remember that too. That was then they had like Nigel Hayes, um, um, John and Blank, and who else on the team? That was oh, Ethan Hat. That was the other big guy. Um, but yeah, they lost in the second round. Oh, I remember now in 2015, it was NC State, uh, when they were. Um, oh yeah that sounds right yeah so after those UConn and NC State losses people really counted out Villanova and they were a two seed and they proved everyone wrong they won the championship in the most exciting way possible so I think if we're talking about the best story they're they're number two behind Villanova or behind uh Virginia sorry um yeah so I guess I think mm. UNC Ooh. might – I mean, we, we didn't get to UNC yet. Oh, that's a good point. That's But UNC losing on the buzzer beater and then winning the next year is also a pretty good story. Yeah. I guess UNC is my number eight team, so I'll just, let's just get right into it and transition there. Okay. I think that could be the – I have them at nine. And not, yeah, so we're on the same spot. Um, so, yeah, that was a really good story. Um, they beat Gonzaga. That was mean. <laughs> yeah. I know you still talk about sometimes that one sequence still plays in your head of how Gonzaga's doing it and then they turn Nigel the ball Williams over. Goss, floater rejected by Kennedy Meeks. Run out pass to Justin Jackson, dunks, crowd goes wild, game's over. Disaster. 
PTSD right there. Um, but yeah, I, I didn't think you could rank this team above 2016 Villanova just because those teams were both pretty similar each year. I remember um, what's uh, what's his name? The, they had another big man. I think his last name was Johnson. It wasn't – I don't know if Marcus Page is in that 2017. 2017. Yeah, they had Marcus Page still. Oh, they did? Yeah. Oh. Um. Yeah. Anyway, long story short, I don't think I didn't think you can rank this team in front of 2016 Villanova, and I didn't think they were as talented as some of the teams I had at the top. Uh, but there was obviously another great example of blue blood program, great program, great coach Roy Williams, great players. It all came together at the right time, and it was all a great story after uh, heartbreak the next year. They kind of used the uh, the championship loss as an opportunity for growth and. It worked out. They they deserve that championship. They're a great team and definitely a top two, maybe top three. I think top two probably story of the last ten years. Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest thing for UNC. I mean, it's hard because I feel like we're looking at the teams now and like the one, the first thing that catches your eye is like, oh, how many NBA players do they have? But we are evaluating them based on like the college team, not like how many NBA players they have. You know, but I just think it still is a good indication of how much talent the team had. And I think just the fact that Justin Jackson, I mean, he was awesome in college, but like besides Justin Jackson, like there really wasn't that much on the team. I mean, they had Tony Bradley, who I didn't remember really even being on the team. I had no idea. (laughs) (laughs) I had no idea until I saw that today, but I don't Like I said, NBA player, but he didn't really play that much on the team. So like, I don't know. They just like don't. They don't do it for me. It's like a powerhouse national champion, but obviously still a good team. But yeah. I see that you've left both the UConn teams for nine and ten. I did, and I didn't intend it. Yeah, I'm not not a UConn hater. Just happened to have it be that way. Um, I guess now that I think about it, the talent of this UConn team this year was probably better than the 2017. North Carolina team, now that we kind of talked about it more in depth, and I probably have them. Actually, no, I'm, I'm, I'll keep UConn at nine. I'm going to keep them at nine. Uh, I just thought, kind of like I talked about earlier, um, I was kind of skeptical skept, skeptical of this team at times throughout the year because of how inconsistent they were. Um, they didn't really – I think Tristan Newton's a great player, but he's not necessarily a true point guard that these other teams have. Um, that's kind of what separates a, Sorry, for a second. I, I, so I heard someone yelling and thought they were talking. Um, yeah, I think this is a really talented team, but they weren't really as complete as a lot of these other championship teams were. And that's, I think, what actually, I think that's what actually makes uh, UConn so dangerous next year, is that they have a lot of room for improvement, um, but they weren't as complete as these, as these other teams were, in my opinion. Yeah, I thought that, I don't know. I put them pretty high. I put them up, all the way up to five. Because I, I don't know. I think, I think this team's gonna age very well. I think it's hard because it just happened, and we don't have a lot of perspective on it. But I think the advanced analytics loved them. They finished number one in Ken Palm. I mean, they were high all season, even this, even when amidst the rut in the middle of the year. I don't think they ever were out of the top five once they kind of established that, like initial run. And yeah, I think. Even- I think Jordan Hawkins is going to be a legit NBA player. I think he's a 
great shooter. Probably was the best shooter in all of college basketball. And the stats aren't going to tell you he was the best shooter from like the shooting percentage, but just I think the degree of difficulty of shots that he hit just kind of gave them that kind of like marquee March like star. And then you pair that with Sonogo, who was obviously ended up being the most whatever MVP of the tournament, who's yeah, been a stud. Most, most outstanding player. I don't know why they don't just do MVP like every other sporting event <laughs> ever, but that's beyond the point. But I think, yeah, between Hawkins and Sonogo, and I think Andre Jackson could be an NBA player. I mean, he's got to get a, more of a jump shot, but obviously, like, super quick guard, good defender on the mm-hmm. wing. And I think Klingon's going to end up being an NBA player. He seems like he could be a good rim protector, kind of modern big. Moves pretty well for his size. And obviously, I think, yeah, I think the biggest – like the biggest downside is that although Newton was pretty was pretty good for them in March, I mean he's not really a true point guard, which I think can make it difficult in times. But I think overall, just like the depth that they had, and just like the way they did it, proved to me that I think they're a legit like powerhouse national title winner. And obviously, yeah. it's you could put it either way. I mean, I think it's close between them and a lot of these teams, but I think. I like I'm a big fan of them and I think as time goes on this is less just forecasting at this point too but I think if Hawkins has a good NBA career in like they send that Sonogo ends up playing in the NBA Hawk or Andre Jackson ends up in the NBA playing in whoever else like ends up in the NBA like people won't look back at this team in a different perspective and then you'll look back and see oh they were number one Ken Palm like it's hard now because I feel like we're looking at them as the four seed that won kind of like a beaten down NCAA tournament, but I think they're going to prove to be a very good team. I mean, they have, but yeah, you know. That was an amazing argument. I think you covered all the bases head on. Like, I think that was, yeah, you put it that way. I feel like I should have them higher. Maybe I was a little biased about just seeing them play, I've already said it twice now, but when they beat when Marquette beat them twice, I thought they looked very, I guess, shaky, I guess I would have put it. So I guess that was kind of, I was looking at the wrong sample size there. And you also mentioned how Klingon, uh, Donovan Klingon is going to be an NBA player. I think he is super underrated. Like everyone always talks about Sonogo, uh, rightfully so. I mean, he's one of the most dominant big men in the country. But what also made this team so dangerous is like you have this, this huge seven foot guy. And if he gets in foul trouble, you have this seven foot two guy who's like arguably even more skilled and um, maybe more talent down the road, uh, Donovan Klingon. Um, that's what makes them such a dangerous team. Like they really don't have any flaws and except for maybe the true point guard thing, like I mentioned, but you make a good point how Tristan Noon, um, or you make a good point how Jordan Hawkins kind of makes up for that being like a potential NBA uh, um NBA guy down the or he will be an NBA guy down the road, but like a, a good NBA career down the road. We'll have more perspective on it um in a few years. Yeah, Klingon's awesome. I mean, I th- I would kind of thought just like the way you played in some of the early games, I would th- I thought it could have been like a Zach Collins kind of sort of situation at Gonzaga where he kind of just like played his way into being a first round pick, literally just through March Madness. Because Zach Collins when he was at Gonzaga, I mean he was a five star recruit. I mean he was supposed to be good. It wasn't like any. Wasn't like out of nowhere, but he didn't. He was a backup all year. Was the big Shem's backup, played spot minutes when Shemek was in foul trouble. But then, like all of a sudden, like just went off in March, and he sort of had a similar thing. But I don't. 
I don't think he quite played enough to where he got like enough of that enough. And I think he'll benefit from coming back for another year, assuming Sonogo leaves and then being a full-time starter. But I think he's a good in the GPA now in lottery pick as well. Yeah, I definitely agree. And that's a really good comparison with Zach Collins. I think that's probably the the closest example that you can give of what his role was like this year. Um, he didn't play as much as Zach Collins did. I thought uh, Dan Hurley should have played him more often. Um, like, I felt like, at least in the games I watched, that he played the most when Sonogo was in foul trouble, which it should have been kind of more of an equal balance, uh, in my opinion. But if Sonogo does leave, there's rumors that he's going to stay. Yeah. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised if he left. Kind of a bogus rule, but the with name, image, likeness, like the NIL era, like for some reason the international guys aren't able to profit off that, like the um, like the American people are. So if he does leave, um, that would probably be a, a big reason why. Because I saw something about why that. He, he has to like, or it wasn't him. It was like uh, Oscar Shibwe. He has to like, yeah. like fly out of the country to like, like do any kind of business or something. Like he literally would like take flights, like just like to go somewhere else so he could do like talk to his agent or like do something. I don't, I don't see the logic behind that rule. That was, it's interesting, but that would be a reason if Sonogo uh, left for sure. Um, if he does leave, then it's definitely a big year for Klingon next year. Heard it here first and the Nate Knows Ball podcast. Watch out for Donovan Klingon next year. Yeah, I think he's going to be a stud, but last team here i think we both had the oh, i know we both had the last team left 2014 yeah. uconn honestly for me this was kind of a no-brainer i mean i did my top two i did villanova baylor and then i put them last and then filled out the middle and it's not that i think they're a bad team obviously they're really good they won the national championship but at the end of the day they were a seven seed and they was kind of just felt like they went on a miracle run with Chabaz just kind of going off every game. And not that, like, it was awesome. Like, it was so cool. But, like, when you just, like, match them up against the other national title content teams, like, they're a tier below, in my opinion. 100%. Um, yeah, they were a fun team to watch. As Napier is really fun. Brian Boatwright, I feel like a lot of people forget about him, but he was another guy, like, another electric player that was fun to watch in that team. Um, but yeah, I think kind of like you implied, like they caught lending in a bottle a little bit, like 2014, I kind of captured the, the beauty of a single, single elimination tournament. Cause I think this UConn team was winning maybe like once out of a hundred times if you play this, but it's a single, single elimination tournament. And maybe that was a little harsh saying one out of a hundred, but you get the point. Like they're not like, if you yeah. like hypothetically this tournament, you're not having them win very often. Yeah, um, I mean, like, I remember it didn't seem, like, impossible. I remember, I, like, this was, like, back when, like, I don't know. I mean, I was really, I was, what, 12 when this happened. So, like, I remember this is when I would go and make, like, my full, like, 10 whatever brackets, however many it was at the time. And my uh, seventh bracket had UConn winning. So, <laughs> if that means anything, it means I didn't think it was the craziest thing ever because, I don't know, they were a seven seed and they were the seventh team I picked to win, like, that's not horrible, but again, it was it was pretty crazy that they pulled it off. Yeah, that kind of reminds me of like 2016. I, I was like, just like you would in 10 brackets. My best bracket was the coin flip bracket because 2016 Villanova 
uh, oh, won that one. Wait, I remember. I still, I still have my screenshot from it. This is like <laughs> this was awesome. It's like it's the fourth picture on my camera roll. Oh, it was number five oh. actually. I stand corrected. I'm I'm actually a genius. It was my fifth pick. Ninety nine point nine percentile. You can't really see it, but trust me, it's there. Eleven fifty points. Ninety nine point nine percentile. Uh, bracket number five. UConn Huskies. So I was a sharp back then. I don't. I I, sixth grade Nate is doing it all. Or not do it all, but he knew it before everyone else did. I knew it was my fifth choice. That, I mean, that's better than most people, probably. Yeah. Most people probably had him as, like, their 20th choice to win the tournament. So, fifth's pretty good. Yeah. And a random memory. I remember that championship game was on your birthday, too. It was on April 7th. Oh, yeah. And, oh, tomorrow, yeah. Uh, happy early birthday, by the way. Wow. Um, thank you. <laughs> super random timing to bring that up, but uh, happy early birthday. Um, just a few more things I have about that team that I think what made that run so much crazier is that that was their first year in the American Athletic Conference, the AAC. They finished third that year. Um, they lost by 33 um, in their season finale. I think it was to Louisville. I didn't write it down, but I'm pretty sure it was Louisville. And like we always we talk about how like these programs are able to sustain sustain success um, after having this type of run. This team had the opposite. They um Kevin Ollie, their coach, got fired four years later. Yeah. Um, they kind of were in a really dark spot in the AAC for their program. They like it was a dark time for their program, as a lot of their fans like to put it. Um, and they almost like kind of became irrelevant until they joined the Big East again, and that kind of saved them. Um, and yeah, yeah also I mean, that was like what we were saying earlier. I don't mean to interrupt, but just like what we were saying earlier with like their blue blood, but like it's weird because they've had so many like bad years to match all the good years like they were really bad for pretty much all the years like you said between this and then rejoining the biggies and then obviously it took a couple of years in the biggies to get reacclimated yeah i also think yeah that's a good way to put it i think another thing i remember the the 10 seed they played saint joseph's uh in that first game and i really really liked saint joseph's winning that game and St. Joseph's was winning that, that this is the 10 seven match. I think this is the first game of the turn, the first round of the tournament for them. And I remember St. Joseph's was winning the whole game. And then, um, UConn similar. I feel like we said this a couple of times now, like UConn, another good example of just, they hung around the whole game they hung around and they got into overtime and then I think they won by eight in overtime, but before overtime, um, they were looked like they were going to lose the whole game. And then St. Joseph's kind of blew it. And then like that game goes differently. Like we're not talking about this team like at all. Like everyone forget everyone would forget about them. Yeah. Um. Respect to them, they made a great run. They had a lot. Shabazz Napier and Ryan Boatwright were really fun. Uh, one-two punch. Um. And yeah, I think talk about fun story. Every year is a fun story, but this year was a fun story too. They're Cinderella team at its finest. Absolutely. And yeah. Well, that, I think that's our good. I think. We, we were on the same page for a fair amount. I feel like we agreed at the top, we agreed at the bottom. In the middle, I think we both agree there was a lot of – could have gone in a lot of ways. Like I feel like really my three through nine, I, I feel like you could have made an argument to put them in almost any order. Yeah, I agree. Um, like I said, though, Virginia, too, I'm like this team could be highs. 
uh, three and uh, low is nine, and you can really say that about a lot of that whole that whole range right there because we we both were pretty strongly like we both had a pretty strong consensus on Villanova and Baylor being one and two, and then strong consensus on UConn uh, being ten. Which nothing, I feel like I've I've bashed UConn a lot of these past couple minutes, but they it was very fun team. They were really good, but yeah. they're definitely. Well, get the respect. You'll see. Yeah, they're gonna definitely. age like fine wine. Oh, I agree, and they're only they're only getting better. Danny Hurley's as much. He's not one of the more likable college coaches, but you gotta respect no, him. So I like, love him. That video of him and yeah, him and his brother coaching in high school. That was the greatest <laughs> thing I've ever seen. Awesome. It reminded me of an SNS kid. <laughs> yeah, they were just like in unison, like yelling. Like falling over when they don't get the call, like it was the most ridiculous thing ever. But like that's just who they are. It was awesome. Yeah, it's that's exactly who they are. You're right. Um, yeah, I guess I like how, I like that he speaks his mind. I like that he's very much himself. I think I just don't like him whenever he plays against my team. Whenever he, I just don't like the antics whenever he's playing against Marquette. Like I remember there was one time like Marquette fans know about this. Like in the Big East semis. Is the beginning of the game, um, and he's like, "You've seen their pressure; like, it's not sustainable. Like, this is the best their team's gonna be." And then Marquette had that pressure the whole game, and ultimately won that game. So I think that kind of just gives me like a, a sour taste for that that kind of quote. So maybe, maybe, maybe I'm I'm a little biased having UConn at these last two, and maybe just some introspection here. Maybe a little biased, but they're really fun team. They're blue blood, like we said. Um, amazing, amazing talent, amazing players, amazing coach, uh, really good program. So I'm trying not to get, trying not to get called out by the UConn fans in case they're listening, but I do have a oh, lot of respect out, for them. They're out there. They're ready, they're <laughs> yeah, they're, ready, to, they're, they're ready to pounce on you, man. They're already. <laughs> um, yeah, so I guess it was a fun debate about top 10 national championship teams. Hopefully we see Gonzaga. Marquette, Illinois, maybe even Vanderbilt there on that list in the next 10 years. Yeah, Gonzaga will be back. Trust me.